You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's preacher is Pastor Brian Flammy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, let it never be said among us that God is beyond using the humble stuff of this creation. That it's good to him. That he likes it. He created it and he wants to preserve it. And he even works through it to save us. Now, I think and I'm afraid that with many Christians, with many Christians in this country, maybe even Christians in our own family who belong to other churches, uh, they think that that is exactly not the case That spiritual things, truly spiritual things, are, by definition, beyond the muck of matter. The stuff that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And I think that if we are honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we get squeamish. We get uncomfortable. When we think about God's majesty getting mixed up with anything that we can touch, with anything that we can see or taste, that we could feel, that we can hear. Our, our human wisdom would step in and tell us that the earthly things that are in church or that tell us about God, that these are but a symbol, a shadow of divine truths that cannot be articulated by humble human language or words. There's an old, uh, really an ancient term for this. It's called uh, being a dualist. And and the the idea behind it is that there's a hard and and, uh, severe distinction and separation between those things that are bodily and earthly and those things that are spiritual, immaterial. The idea is that those things that are earthly and material are somehow mixed up with that which is evil, you know, the stuff that you can see and, and touch, it, it decays and it falls away. And so it can't be all that full of goodness. But those things that are spiritual, right? Spiritual truths, spiritual realities, these things uh, don't decay like earthly things. And so they're pure, they're better, uh, they're more perfect. And so that part of ourselves that is immaterial, that is our immortal soul, then, you know, that is... It shares with the divine. And anything that is godly has to be of this sort of immaterial, spiritual nature. And then we're tempted, once we come up with this dualistic distinction between things in this world, we're tempted to read the scriptures in this way. And so we hear the words of St. Paul in the epistle lesson, and we hear, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And we think to ourselves, aha, that's it. The letter must refer to all those things that are, you know, earthly, that we can touch, that we can smell and taste. But the spirit, the immaterial, that must give life. But you see, this would be imposing our own distinction, our own interpretation on the words of Holy Scripture. And if you take Paul at his word, you'll find that he's not talking about some sort of weird metaphysical distinction between immaterial stuff and material stuff. He's talking about what? The distinction between law and gospel. Jesus is teaching us today that far from being separated from matter, from the stuff of this creation, Jesus shows us just how tactile and earthy the gospel really is. He teaches us that true spirituality, that is Christian spirituality that gives forgiveness and eternal life, 
is exactly the stuff that you, you see, that you touch, that you hear, that you can feel, that you can taste. He takes his dirt-stained hands, he takes his fingers, and he sticks them into another man's wax-filled ears. Jesus spits, and he takes the spit, and he puts the spit on another man's tongue. It's disgusting. It's gross. But I'm telling you right now that for that blind, or I'm sorry, for that deaf and mute man, that that gross stuff was the gospel. It is the gospel. And it gave him spiritual and eternal life. In Christ, God is pleased to be flesh of our flesh. In Christ, the spiritual has become earthy. Jesus takes the stuff of this everyday life, the words that we hear, the bread that we eat, the wine that we drink, the water that that cleanses us, and he makes these the means by which men become spiritual and pleasing in God's sight. And so this morning we meditate on how Jesus opens our ears to hear his external word, And he loosens our tongues so that we can confess his mercy. Now, I suppose that you might try to stop me right here and say, well, pastor, hold on a second. It's nice that here in the gospel lesson we have a story about Jesus helping a desperate man who is deaf, who can't hear, who is mute, who cannot speak, uh, whose situation is so desperate and miserable that I can hardly imagine it. But you know, Pastor, that really doesn't have a lot to do with me. I think my ears work just fine. You know, I'm getting a little bit older. It's getting harder to hear stuff. But, you know, my ears still work. My eyes can still see. So I'm not really sure just how far I can identify with this, this man who cannot hear and, who, and, and this man who cannot speak. It's a temptation, I think, always to, to concentrate on our human powers and to think a lot of them, even if they're diminishing, you know. God is always teaching us not to trust in our hearing or in our speaking or in our seeing or our, our touch. As we get older, we lose all of these senses. God is teaching us how, in the end, they're going to be taken away from us in our death. But nevertheless, you know, we, we watched the Olympics this week and we think to ourselves, man, human beings are capable of so much. They can jump so far, they can swim so fast. Look at their determination, their power, the grace, and the success that they have that's, that's just out there for them to reach out and to grasp. And then we take this, this, uh, this physical and, and uh, this physical and this prowess that they have, and then we say to ourselves, well, surely... This extends to the entire person, the whole person. Then in the same way as men and women mount up on a podium to be honored and praised and thanked because of their great powers and their potential, then you know what? Maybe the same also applies to my spiritual life. That I'm capable of so much that I can reach out with my spirit and touch God. We think that we could search for God, that we can find Him, that we can choose Him, that we can prove ourselves to be worthy to be in His presence. 
Now, it's true. Most people aren't quite this naive, right? Because they know sin. They know their trespasses. They know that they have fallen short of the glory of God. But they think that, well, maybe God does a little bit to take care of the sin part of things, and then I can do the rest. Then I can, you know, work, my, work up my spiritual powers and, and seek after God, reach out to Him, and, and together, and together we can, we can come to salvation. In other words, it's, it's sort of a, the idea that we hear often. Uh, God helps those who help themselves. You hear that often. But dear saints, when, when God first found you in the waters of holy baptism, you were deaf. You did not hear the voice of God. You were mute. It was impossible for you to speak anything that would please God, ever. You see, not being able to hear or to speak are but symptoms of a deeper and more deadly affliction that has ensnared every single human being that has walked upon this earth. And this is what Jesus cares about. And this is why Jesus takes special attention to this this man who cannot hear, who cannot speak. St. Paul writes, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. St. John talks about all of humanity, every single one of us, as being in darkness. And when the light came into the world, as he describes in the very first chapter of his gospel, we did not comprehend it. We did not understand him. Jesus says about us, seeing they do not perceive and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. We are so deaf and mute and blind that St. Paul says, if it looks like a rock and it acts like a rock, maybe it is a rock. He says you are dead in your trespasses and your sins. And so here's the point. The temptation is that we uh, cooperate with God in conversion. That God does a little bit to come and to help us and to show himself to us, and then we have to reach out and grab him and run the rest of the way. That we embrace God and God embraces us, and that together we come into salvation. But Jesus says, no, as helpless as this man was in being brought to me, as deaf as he was to God's word, as, as mute as he was to even begin to, to offer up a prayer, uh, to petition God for his mercy, as impossible as all of that was, so it is with you in your, in your human birth, according to your nature that has been corrupted by sin. Jesus can only have the credit for saving sinners. And he shows us that in in opening this man's ears, in loosing his tongue. There is no cooperation with God when it comes to repentance and faith. There is no meeting God halfway. It is God alone who works. And he alone gives ears to hear his word and tongues to confess his praises. Now, I heard it said somewhere uh, that... (laughs) Had it not been for ears and tongues, 
that it would be impossible to tell an unbeliever from a true Christian. The ear is opened to receive God's promises in faith, and the tongue is loose to confess His mercy. And the tongue is also used by God to preach so that the ear can hear and know that that God loves him in the death of his son, Jesus. Now, from the outside, if you were to consider people apart from the ears and their tongues, both the unbeliever and the Christian appear to live similar lives, right? In fact, you could say that they both strive after living virtuous and good lives. They both have families, generally speaking. They pay their taxes. They contribute to society. But the point of distinction is always in what they hear. The point of distinction is that you are here this morning listening to God's word being read and proclaimed to you from from the pulpit. The non-Christian is not here. They do not hear God's word. You do. You hear the law. You hear about your sins and your spiritual death in your sins. But then you hear also about the gospel, which turns your hearts from spiritual death to life. And so St. Paul writes, faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, pagans spend their entire lives hearing any number of things, maybe even things about God, maybe even things that sound very spiritual, that separate them out from the matter of this world. But they're still lost in the futility of their mind, because they do not know Christ. And they do not know the mercy of God in Christ. That he became man, real flesh and bones. That he poured out real blood on a cross. And that this death and that his resurrection in life have become for you God's favor and his righteousness. With your tongue, you as a Christian speak plainly about your faith. Because you hear it, and and because it can be put into human words, it also means that you also can put the mercy and the love of God into human words and confess it before men. And then hold God accountable to his mercy, and then pray to him for his help in your time of need. St. Paul also writes about this. He says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Once again, the unbeliever says many different things, probably all kinds of spiritual things. (laughs) He says good things that sound good and pleasing to us about how he loves his family and and how he wants to do good things in this world and make the world a better place. But once again, he does not pray to God in his time of need for the sake of Christ. He doesn't call God Father and say, and I know, Father, that you hear me because I know that your Son, Jesus, has died for me. Now, as much as God has blessed our ears and opened our tongues to confess his mercy, so also does the devil then use these same organs against us to fill our ears with lies and then also to twist our tongue into speaking falsehood. It's interesting, isn't it? That when, that when, Jesus, when Jesus is about to open the man's ears and loose his tongue, what does he do? 
He sighs. He sighs. Now, I didn't know quite what to think about this, and then I read something, probably by Luther somewhere, that Jesus sighs because he knows that, yes, these ears are being opened to hear the gospel. Yes, this tongue is being loosed to confess. But it also puts him in, in great spiritual danger. That where the gospel is being preached, you know also that the devil will be there right alongside it, trying to say, did God really say that, that Jesus died for your sins? Did God really say that he alone is responsible for your conversion that you should, and that you are not responsible in meeting him halfway? And, and also where the Christians' tongues have been opened, the devil is also there to bring you back into your corruption, into your sin. You know, Jesus tells us that out of the heart of man comes all kinds of sin and wickedness. And the devil would have us dwell on these things, on our corruption, on our desires that that set ourselves outside of God's word and what he wants for us and what he has revealed to us in the law. He also would have our, our tongues grow silent and to be stopped up again, right? When we need to speak Christ's words of mercy and kindness when our neighbor needs it the most, you know? Now, as parents, you probably know this. <laughs> when, when your kids do something to make you mad, and you know that, you know, as according to my vocation as parents, I should be angry with them and punish them, the punishment always comes much more easily when we don't have to speak Jesus' words of forgiveness, right? When we set the words of forgiveness and mercy also outside of our minds. Well, that's not what it is to be a Christian parent. See, discipline comes from love, not from wrath. Then even as we are sinned against, so also do we forgive. As Christ has forgiven us. Now, against in the various, the various ways in which our, our ears can be filled with false teachings about who God is and what he has done for us and how our tongues can be, can be stopped up from speaking rightly and truthfully about, about Jesus, as we've learned from the Catechism. We have this beautiful example in the, in the Gospel lesson of what, of what the opposite of that is, of what it means to hear and then to speak. And you see it in the deaf-mute man's friends. These men, these men must have heard about who Jesus is and what he was all about. They heard incredible things about Jesus. That here is this, this man who is coming down from Tyre and Sidon, here into the Decapolis on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he does amazing things. He, uh, he sets people free from demons. He gives sight to the blind. He tells us about the kingdom of God. And it is a kingdom not of anger and of, and of fear, but of grace and mercy. And instead of hearing what probably other people had been saying about Jesus, that, hey, look, his disciples, they don't eat uh, food that is with, with uh, washed hands. Instead, they just pick up the food and eat it without observing the ceremonies of our fathers. So they say that, you know, Jesus is not really uh, uh, teaching us the things that we have been taught by our elders. 
Instead, he is teaching us as one with authority and setting aside the commands and the commandments of men. They set aside all these these things that would take them away from Jesus and his word. And they listen to the truth of the gospel. That Jesus is able to help sinners. Those people who have been broken in this life, in their time of need. In setting aside the devil's lies, they, they get together and they speak to one another about this Jesus. And they say to one another, what should we do? Here's this Jesus. Uh, we, sh- we have a friend who is deaf and who is mute. Should we believe what we have heard? Should we take our friend to Jesus? So they agree to come together and to take their friend to Jesus. And then what does Jesus do? He hears their prayers, their confess- the confession of their tongues that were spoken in faith. And he answers them. Just in the same way, dear saints, as you, because you have heard the gospel and you have believed it, speak to God in your prayers and pray for your friends who even cannot help themselves. The Holy Spirit has given you a great and wonderful example and promise that Jesus hears your prayers, that they matter to him, and that in the same way as your ears have been opened to hear the gospel and your tongue has been loosed to confess the holy Christian faith, so also does Jesus desire this for everyone for whom you pray, be it your family members, your friends, and your neighbors, that they too would have ears opened by the Holy Spirit, that they too would speak and confess with joy the kindness of Jesus, who is not far off and immaterial, but near us in flesh and bone, giving us water joined to his word to cleanse us from sin, even giving us his body and his blood underneath bread and wine for us to eat and to drink, to be near us, to save us, to forgive us, to give us life everlasting. In this way, dear saints, Jesus has done all things well, both in his earthly ministry and for you here today. And he would do all things well for those for whom you pray. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.